Thank you for listening to this gospel resource from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. Feel free to use or share this resource, but we ask that you not alter the content in any way. For more information about Cornerstone Baptist Church, please visit us at cornerstonewiley.org. Jude, a bondslave of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are the called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long before marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now I desire to remind you Though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe, and angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh after are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Yet in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. But Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these men revile the things which they do not understand, and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace to be able to read your word and to take these warnings seriously for our lives. We thank you for this church. We thank you for this local body that loves each other, that wants to see each other grow in you and to glorify you more. We thank you for the opportunity to be together today, and we just praise you for everything. In Christ's name, amen. Today we're going to be looking at Jude 8 through 10, but before we get to that, I want to just make some preliminary comments of where we've been. Um, at this point in our series, we have covered the first seven verses of Jude. We saw in verses 1 and 2 the characteristics of being a slave of Christ and our position in Christ. Then we saw that we are to contend for the faith in verse 3. We looked at the marks of the apostate given in verse 4, lives marked by licentiousness and a denial of Christ's lordship. Then last week we covered the, first, the verses 5 through 7 and saw three illustrations of God's judgment. We saw that how he dealt with unbelieving Israel, the rebellious angels, and the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. Today we'll be covering verses 8 through 10, but I want to make a few um, preliminary comments first. 
Apostates are like terrorists. They do not warn about their attacks or fight in conventional ways, but rather do things in secret and stealth, with the attack happening before you know it, bringing swift destruction. We must be on guard for the purity of the church and the spiritual safety of ourselves and other individuals in our church. 2 Corinthians 11, 12 through 14 says, but I am doing, but what I am doing I will continue to do so that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they are boasting. For such men are false prophets, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as angel, uh, as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness whose end will be according to their deeds. And in Matthew 7.15, Jesus tells us, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. This is why Jude's letter is so important, not only to those he, who he wrote it to, but to us today. Sometimes it's hard to recognize false teachers because they come as angels of light. They come as shepherds, but are ungodly people. The main point of this letter is that we are to contend for the faith that was once handed down to us. How can we defend the faith if we do not study and understand his word. We must be students of his word so that we are sharp to recognize false teachers. Now let's read verses 8 and 10 again, 8 through 10 again. It says, Yet in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. But Michael, the archangel, when disputed when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these men revile the things which they do not understand, and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. Our passage this morning starts with, Yet in the same way these men by dreaming. This takes us back to the previous text in which we had three illustrations of these apostates' behavior, the children of Israel, the angels, and the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. The same unholy boldness that all these examples show is the character of these apostates. <clears throat> they are shameless in their behavior. Despite the fact that God will judge these apostates, they continue in their sins and disregard the judgment of God. These apostates rejected the examples in the past and continued headlong in their sin. These apostates used their dreams to deceive others. They supposedly got dreams that they say were from God to give them more authority and weight. This should be familiar to us today because all you have to do is search for dreams and visions from God and you will be shocked how much junk comes up in your feed. There are even videos on how to get dreams and visions from God. In fact, this week I saw a video of a guy that was using his supposed dream to call down angels from heaven. So we have false teachers 
among us today in the visible church. Many times they say they have received new knowledge from God through their dreams. They reject the word of God that does not change and is complete. They discount God's word in favor of these supposed dreams and visions from God. And many times they use their dreams to justify their immoral lifestyle. I remember a famous Christian music artist that told the entire world that God had told her that it was okay for her to divorce her husband in order to expand her music career. I can guarantee you God never told her that because God's word stands and does not give license to divorce your spouse to expand your ministry, business, or any other thing. Also, what came out is that during this time, she was actually having an adulterous relationship with another man. John MacArthur once said, preoccupied with mystical encounters and emotional ecstasies, many seek ongoing revelation from heaven, meaning that for them, the Bible alone is simply not enough. With them, biblical revelation must be su supplemented with personal words from God supposed impressions from the Holy Spirit and other subjective experiences. That kind of thinking is an outright rejection of the authority and sufficiency of Scripture. It is a recipe for far-reaching theological disaster. Jeremiah in his day had to deal with false prophets who had visions much like Jude does in this letter. Jeremiah 23, 13-14 says, Moreover, among the prophets of Samaria, I saw an offensive thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people astray. Also, among the prophets of Jerusalem, I see a horrible, I've seen a horrible thing, the committing of adultery and walking in falsehood, and they strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one has turned back from their, his wickedness. All of them have become to me like Sodom and her inhabitants like Gomorrah. Jeremiah 23, 16 through 21 goes on to say, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you. They are leading you into futility. They speak a vision of their own imagination, not from the, the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, The Lord has said, You will have peace. And as for everyone who walks in the stubbornness of his own heart, they say calamity will not come upon you. But who has stood in the counsel of the Lord that he should see and hear his word? Who has given heed to his word and listened? Behold, the storm of the Lord has gone forth in wrath. Even a whirling tempest, it will swirl down on the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has performed and carried out the purposes of his heart. In the last days you will clearly understand it. I did not send these prophets, but they ran. I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. Paul addressed in his epistles too the same thing. He was dealing with the same issues that Peter and Jude were dealing with, false teachers. Colossians 2, 18 and 19 says, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, 
taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the entire body, being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments, grows with a growth which is from God. Everything is to be tested against the canon, which is complete, and we must be careful to not trespass beyond what is written for our instruction. We do not need dreams, visions, or revelations because his word is complete and sufficient within itself. Our job is to submit to his breathed out word to us. Jude has been showing the characteristics of these false prophets and continues to do so now. Let's look at verse 8 again in Jude. It says, These men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. In our passage, we see three characteristics of these apostates. They defile the flesh, reject authority, and revile angelic beings. They will be judged for their sexual sin, rejection of Christ's lordship, and slandering of angels. The first thing we see here is they defile the flesh. The Greek word defile means to dye, stain, pollute, and contaminate. We see the use of this word in Leviticus 18, which is tied directly to sexual sin. After a lengthy list of sexual sins given in verses 6 through 23, it says in verse 24, Do not defile yourself by any of these things, for by all these things the nations which I am driving out from you have become defiled. Just as God brought judgment down to the pagan nations and on Israel in the Old Testament for their sexual sin, so he will do the same with these apostates. False teachers are immoral even if it is not seen in public. They have no Holy Spirit living in them to check their immorality. Remember, they are not going to come into the church and display their immorality right off. But actually, as we have seen in our verses earlier, they come deceptively into the body. These false teachers were using their dreams to say that God had given them sexual freedom, all in the name of grace to live in their licentiousness. These apostates live in their own delusion and claim that God tells them things that are directly opposed to God's word. This is the same today because there are many professing Christians that have abandoned holy sexuality, and they say God wants them to be happy, and they disregard his holiness. The second behavior of these apostates is that they reject authority. This could be talking about human authority, but the best way to understand this is that they reject the lordship and sovereignty of God. This is the sin that this verse that verse 4 refers to when it said when Jude said they deny our only master and lord Jesus Christ. They reject and destroy the lordship of Christ. They want to rule their own lives and disregard any authority over them. There is a sense in which these apostates also reject the authority of elders and leaders, but the main point is that they reject Christ's rule in their lives. To reject, or we could use the word revolt, against Christ's lordship is to 
betray, and to be unfaithful. This was a characteristic of these apostates. They continued to be slaves to sin rather than slaves to righteousness. The lordship of Christ is still a de highly debated issue in the visible church today. But let me make it clear. The Bible emphatically teaches the lordship of Christ for the believer. A gospel that does not call people to submit to the lordship of Christ is a false gospel. In 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3, we read, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be maligned. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Jeremiah 6.10 also says, To whom shall I speak and give warning, that they may hear? Behold, their ears are closed and they cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord has become a reproach to them. They have no delight in it. Apostates reject the authority of God, his word, and most of the time they reject any authority they have in their lives. The last characteristic of the apostate is they revile angelic beings. This word revile is from the Greek word blasphemo, which means to speak evil or to slander. They speak evil of sacred things. They profane the things of God. Angelic beings are the object of this slander, which is a direct slander against God himself. There are three views of what angelic beings means here. One view is that it means dignitaries or civic authority. Another view is it means ecclesiastical authorities like elders. The third view is these angelic beings are angels. The one that is the most accepted view and the one I hold is that these supernatural beings are angels. This is the best interpretation due to the context that Jude connects it to in verse 9, which we'll get to in a minute. Peter uses the same term in 2 Peter 2.10, which says, And especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupted desires, despise authority, Daring self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. These apostates not only lived sexually sinful lifestyles and rejected Christ's lordship, but they also insulted angels. Some think the angelic beings mentioned in our verse are good angels, but I think what we will see here in verse 9 of Jude is that it is more plausible that Jude is talking about fallen angels. One thought from a commentary on this is that the apostates underestimated the power of evil. The apostates thought that these demons could not hurt them. These false teachers had so much pride that they had no fear to speak against that which Michael the archangel would not dare to do. This brings us to verse 9, which ties back to reviling beings as an example. Verse 9 says, But Michael... The archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. 
Here we see the contrast between the apostates and Michael the archangel. Michael is one of the chief angels of our Lord. In Daniel 10, verse 13, we read, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia was withstanding me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I had been left there with the kings of Persia. Michael the archangel is the protector of God's elect. God tasked Michael with taking care and protecting the body of Moses after his death. He contended with Satan for that body. This is the only place in the Bible that we read of this incident. The following is all we are told about Moses' death and his body. In Deuteronomy 34, 5-6, we read, So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley of the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no man knows his burial place to this day. There is nowhere in the Bible that has this story of Michael and the devil, but it is found in the book titled The Assumption of Moses. It seems by Jude referencing this story, he took it as a true story. We should not, however, draw the conclusion that he thought the entire book of the Assumption of Moses was true. We can have assurance that this specific story is true because it is in our scriptures. Jude uses, I'm going to use a word here that I probably will blow, but I'll try my best on it. Justin's laughing because I think he knows what that word is. Jude uses texts from the Old Testament, from apostolic teachings, and from pseudopigraphic literature. And I probably said it wrong, but that's okay. Pseudopigraphic means pseudo, which is false, and epigraphic means to inscribe or write falsely. These extra-biblical writings can have some things that are true in them, but not all. There are some other places in Scripture where statements or stories are used, as we have seen here, but it is rare. We have examples of other sources being quoted other than the Bible by the Apostle Paul. Paul at Mars Hill references Greek poets in Acts 17.28. And in Titus 1.12, he quotes a saying that is not found in Scripture either. Paul did not endorse all the sayings from these people, but just that which was true. So we do take this account as being historically accurate. Maybe the reason God did not allow anyone to have Moses' body or know where he was buried is because he already knew the children of Israel were idol worshipers. Think about the golden calf. Out of Moses' presence for a short time when he was with God on the mountain, they went right back to their evil ways. Not trusting in God, they decided to make a golden calf to worship. We see an entire false religion that puts huge emphasis on relics that people worship. Bones from supposed saints, supposed nails from the cross, which they probably have enough nails from the cross to build a house. And the list could go on and on. The Roman Catholic Church has made these items into idols of worship. We also understand that our hearts can easily replace worship of the Lord for worship of idols. 
John Calvin said the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. God has made us for worship, but we are to worship him and nothing else. And we are to worship him according to how he directs us in his scriptures. Our hearts are quick to wander from the Lord, so we must be diligent to not let other things, people, or even love of ourselves to become an idol. Now back to the passage at hand. This dispute with Michael and Satan is a legal dispute over the body of Moses. Satan thought he had some right over his body, probably because of the failings Moses had during his life. Here we see Michael is the defense counsel and Satan is the prosecutor. Many commentators think the reason they were debating over the body of Moses was that Moses had murdered an Egyptian, which we read about in Exodus 2, 11 through 12. So let's look at that for a moment. It says, Now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up that he went out to his brethren and looked at on the hard, their hard labors, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that, and when he saw there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. We, I want you to turn to Zechariah 3, because we're going to be there for just a minute. And this is very important. We have a similar example in Zechariah 3, 1 through 5, where Satan accuses Joshua, the high priest. Let's start at verse 1 of Zechariah 3, where we read the following. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand, right to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a log snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed in filthy garments and was standing before the angel. And he responded and said to those who were standing before him, saying, Remove the filthy garments from him. And again, again he said to him, See, I have taken your guilt away from you and will clothe you with festive robes. Then I said, have them put a clean headband on his head. So they put the clean headband on his head and clothed him with garments while the angel of the Lord was standing by. Joshua is on trial here. Joshua, being the high priest, was representing the entire people of God. Howard Voss puts it this way, The high priest is standing before Jehovah on behalf of the people, and if he is rebuked, and cast away, the significance is that the people of Israel would be cast away. The people of Israel had defiled themselves and there was great guilt upon them. Satan takes his, this opportunity to do what he does in his role. He accuses Joshua and points to the stains of his sin and all of Israel's. Joshua certainly had plenty of sins for Satan to accuse him of just as we have plenty of sins to accuse us too. Notice Joshua says nothing in his defense. Also, notice that the angel of the Lord does not seek to deny the charges either. The angel of the Lord is the pre-incarnate Christ. Christ stands in the gap between Joshua and the accusations of Satan. 
The angel of the Lord says, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a log snatched from the fire? Christ says, The Lord rebuke you, referring to God the Father. This rebuke is not without warrant. First, on the base of God's election. God's election of Israel did not reside in what they did, but in his sovereign purpose and grace. Second, he rebuked Satan because God snatched Joshua from the fire. He rebuked Satan, or this is the picture of the fire of judgment. God plucked him out and delivered him from condemnation. And lastly, we see this picture of sin being removed from Joshua. The angel of the Lord commands the angels to take off Joshua's filthy clothes and say to Joshua, See, I have taken your guilt away from you and will clothe you with festive robes. This is what only Christ can do for any sinner. Christ justifies us. He takes away our sin and guilt and clothes us with his righteousness. We stand only because of what God has done for us, but that does not mean that we are immune to the attacks of Satan. In Revelation 12.10 we read, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brethren have been thrown down. He accuses them before our God day and night. Satan is the accuser of the elect. But for those in Christ, there is no condemnation because Christ paid for, paid for our sins and imputed his righteous life to us as we live that perfect life, as he lived that perfect life, as if we lived it. Yes, I get emotional because that's my God. That's the one that, who has saved me. We read in Romans 8, 33 and 34, Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Romans 8 and verse 1 tells us there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And Romans 8.33, as we just read, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. We need to remember when we look at our past sins and feel guilt and shame for that which Christ has already paid for. We are justified by Christ's life and death. We can have assurance that Christ's work is full and complete for us, and we can rest in knowing, in him knowing that Satan cannot touch us. So let's go back to Michael here in our text. What is Michael's response here? His actions are both negative and positive. First, negatively, he, does, he did not pronounce a blasphemous judgment upon Satan. He did not overstep his bounds. He has no right, nor do we, to pronounce final judgment upon someone. Michael is not like Israel who rejected God, nor is he like the angels that rejected their position, nor is he like Sodom and Gomorrah who rejected God's design, all of which the apostates did. Second, positively, what he did do was let God be God. 
He acknowledged God's rightful place and rightful authority. Michael's response was, the Lord rebuke you. Michael has humility and reverence for God that the apostates do not. These apostates did not tremble in their rebellion. They are not like Michael the archangel who didn't, did not disregard his position or his reverence for the Lord. Now let's look at Jude 10, which says, But these men revile the things which they do not understand, and the things which they know by instinct, like unreasoning animals, by these things they are destroyed. False teachers use a lot of words, but they are clueless. They do not understand anything spiritually. This is exactly what modern-day false teachers do. Just think about how they espouse a health and wealth prosperity gospel based on their false understanding or twisting of scripture ultimately for their own gain. Our modern day false teachers claim to have visions of God. They presume to speak for God and promote that all God wants to do is give you riches rather than holiness. The fact is that their teaching cannot stand up against the word of God, which is the measuring stick for all truth. These apostates in Jude's time did not understand the, the scriptures, which leads us to the last part of this passage. They blaspheme against logic and reason like unreasoning animals. The thing they did not understand, the, the thing that they did understand was their own sinful appetites. They were controlled by their evil appetites, devoid of the spirit, and only able to gratify their flesh. Their con corruption continued to become worse and worse. This is what unchecked sin does. It pollutes everything and continues to just add more and more upon the pile of pollution. As Tom Schreiner puts it, these intruders believed they understood heavenly things, but they were far out of their depth. The one thing they did understand, however, was the power of physical appetites. Their physical desires urged them on daily, and like irrational animals, they were driven by sexual instinct rather than reason. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 16, 17, and 18, now I urge you, brethren, to keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching what you learned, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Their ungodly thinking and behavior leads them to be destroyed. This is the final resting place for all that defile the flesh, reject authority, and revile angelic majesties. They, this is speaking of final judgment and eternal hell to pay for their sins. To summarize what we have covered, these apostates had no care for God and his ways. They were insubordinate to God's sovereignty and authority. They had learned nothing from the past judgments of God on past apostates. They were self-absorbed, self-appointed, and self-deluded. They only brought chaos and destruction with them, 
But in the end, their judgment is secure and sure, just as our justification and glorification is sure and secure in Christ. To summarize what we have covered, these apostates had no care for God and His ways. They were insubordinate to God's sovereignty and authority. They had learned nothing from the past judgments of God on past apostates. They were self-absorbed, self-appointed, and self-deluded. We need to remember that. That's why I read it twice. They only brought chaos and destruction with them, but in the end, their judgment is secure and sure. This is the fate of all false teachers that refuse the kindness of God, reject his authority, and trample on the grace God extends. We read in Hebrews 10, 26 through 31, the following, For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who sets aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hand of the living God. Many have been exposed to the truth, and yet they have rejected it. This is their fate, just as this was the fate of these apostates. Their end is final judgment. So in closing, I want to leave you with some practical applications. First, this book is a gracious warning to all of us to examine ourselves and make sure we are not like these apostates. And today we're doing the Lord's table, so it's a, a fitting theme for you even right now to examine yourselves to see if there maybe is some unrepentant sin in your life. We can read this book and point the finger at others without ever examining our own lives to see if we are like these apostates in some way. God is gracious to give us these warnings which we need to take seriously. Examine yourself to, to see if you are a pretender rather than a possessor of faith. This is God's grace to you to be confronted with his word. Don't let yourself be one of these that disregard God's warnings. John Flavel once said, Look to it, my dear friends, that none of you be found Christless at your appearance before him. Those that continue Christless now will be left speechless then. God forbid that you have heard so much of Christ and you that have professed so much of Christ should at last fall into a worse condition than those that never heard the name of Christ. Secondly, for all that are in Christ, we need to be on watch to make sure we are not influenced by these false teachers. Jesus warns us in Matthew 24, 
4 through 5, that men will come to mislead us, and it says, And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one mislead you, for many will come in my name, and saying, I am the Christ, and will lead, mislead many. Just as Jesus warns the disciples of false people, so we should take this warning to heart. They may not come saying they are the Christ, but they come saying they represent God. We must not be let, misled by false teachers, but rather test everything against God's inerrant word. 1 John 4, 1 tells us, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. We test all things according to what God's word says. It is not a feeling in my gut, some premonition or dream I have had, or some other subjective thing. No, we are always to test everything by the infallible, inerrant, and authoritative word of God. Again, it is his grace to allow us to see these examples so that we will be diligent to keep our lives pure for his glory. False teachers can and do influence weak believers, but before we get spiritually prideful, we also need to be on guard against false teachers and their influence. Thirdly, we are all in the battle for truth. God calls us to be faithful soldiers in the fight for the faith. We are called to contend for the faith. Please don't get sucked into the worldly church's false thinking that it is not our place to judge. It is not our place to judge on preference issues, but it is our place to judge based on God's revealed word. That's the standard. We are to con called to contend to fight for the faith. Way too many people are too passive and just allow teachers to continue to spew their false teaching. In Titus, and that's not love, you guys. To let somebody do that is not love. You need to love people and confront them with the truth. In Titus 1, 9 through 11, we are told the following. Holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine, and to refute those who contradict. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. This is tied to the qualifications of an elder, but we all must hold fast the word of God and be able to exhort and refute those that are in opposition to his word. We must silence false teachers. The Puritan George Downham once said, the Christian soldier must avoid two evils. He must not faint or yield in the time of fight. And after victory, he must not wax insolent and secure. When he has overcome, he is to behave himself as though he were presently gained to be assaulted. For Satan's temptations, like the waves of the sea, do follow one in the neck of the other. This is why we must be in his word and ready to silence false teachers that are the children of the devil. Let Psalm 25, 4-5 be our prayer as it was David's when he said, Make me know your ways. 
O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. We have to know the truth to defend the truth. Let us love others enough to contend for the faith for ourselves and for the sake of others that are weak and can be influenced by these false teachers. And lastly, be encouraged because this battle is already won by God. Let's revisit Revelation 12.10 and add verse 11 to it here. It says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and night. And this is verse 11. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. It is a given that Satan will try to accuse you of your sins and may even make you question if God really did cover your sins with Christ's blood. Let us remember who we serve is greater than our accuser. Satan has no power over God or over you if you are his. Do not grow weary in the fight. If you are weary today, let me suggest that you get with a strong believer and get built up in your faith. You will fail if you try to live your Christian life in a bubble. God has given us to each other to be that encourager and challenger as we are used in each other's lives for sanctification. Let us always remember everything we have is from God, starting with our redemption to the end of our glorification, and it is sure and steadfast. Let us be a people that do not be, need to be ashamed handling accurately the word of God, ready to defend his word. Fear God rather than man. Be a faithful soldier of our Lord today and every day. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these truths. We thank you for the warnings that you give us in Jude. And Lord, we pray that if anybody does not know you here, that they will be crushed seeing their sin and to see that they are hopeless and that they need you. But you are a God of grace and mercy who saves sinners. And we do pray for that. We pray for Breck now as he um, will be teaching us this morning that you would use him as a messenger for the words that we need to hear. We thank you for your mercies and grace over and over and over, knowing that left to ourselves, we are like these apostates, but you have saved us and you have changed us and you have given us the ability to glorify you in our lives and that is our desire. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name, amen.